Well, good morning. Well, I'm glad you are here with us this morning, whether you're in person or watching online. We're so grateful for each and every one of you. We want to especially greet and welcome our first-time guests. We're thankful that you've decided to join us as well. We love to connect with you. One of the easiest ways to do that is to fill out a connection card. You can find those throughout our gathering space, or you can use our Riverbend app, or go to our website, and you'll find a connection card right there. It's our desire to get to know you, to help you take your next step as God leads you to do so. And we want to make sure we provide those opportunities for you just to more to be more than just a, a person that's come in, but rather a person that has an opportunity to be known. But again, we're so grateful for each and every one of you as we are continuing our teaching series called Love Has One. Love Has One. Say that with me. Love Has One. And as we think about Love Has One, this is really this idea of victory celebration. As uh, Rich McDaniel has did, did such a great job. Aren't we grateful for Rich and Drew, by the way? Let's give it up for those guys. Great job. So thankful for the teaching team. And as Rich has talked about, the words of Jesus through John 13 through 17 is like this commencement address. It gives us these final words, these things that we want to carry with us, this legacy of love that we want to hold on to. And so what we've been doing is going through John 13. We're going to make our way through the whole of the Gospel of John through this series, but it's really with the intent for us to understand how his love has won. How has the love of Jesus won in our lives and in the lives of those around us and in the world and community that we're in? And as we think about love and we think about the power of love, one of the aspects that you can't get away from is the power of relationship. Relationship. And how important and significant it is to be in relationships with others who know you and you know them. To know who you are, where you've been, and where God's taking you, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? We need people like that in our lives. And recently, I've had an opportunity to do that in a couple different stops along my life as Amy was in Denmark uh, visiting family. I was a bachelor for like two and a half weeks. So I took advantage of this time to connect with some people. And one of those people that I connected with is Emilio Rivas. And Emilio Rivas is a good buddy of mine who has since become a follower of Jesus, but he was like a brother to John and I. And Emilio is from Guatemala originally. And, and so we've shared a lot of life together. And, and there's something about stepping back into familiar places where you've grown up and the people that journeyed with you, right? There's just something that you can't get past with a history that's been shared together. There's a relationship that's been established through a lot of different memories that have been made. And so I'm grateful for my brother Emilio. I'm grateful for his friendship. I'm grateful for the, his family. His bride is not in this picture. She's taking the picture. And he has another daughter as well. But it's been beautiful to watch how he's flourishing and thriving and how we get to still encourage one another today. And, you know, in our lives, we have those people that are, are pivotal, those relationships that still stay with us today. And so Amelia is one of those. But then this week, I also had an opportunity to go and speak at the place where I met Amy, and that is called Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York. As many of you know, I'm originally from Atlanta. And the way I got to Scroon Lake, New York, was a man named Brian Kelso. And Brian Kelso is this next picture here. This is his family. Brian was a youth leader in my life and became a really close friend, like an older brother to me, five years older than I am. And Brian said, I think it would be really good for you to go to Word of Life Bible Institute. I didn't know how much his family was involved. His, 
His grandfather actually started their international branch of Word of Life, which is a huge deal. They're in a lot of different countries. And I didn't know all this stuff. I'm, at this point in time, I'm like 17 years old. And I didn't know what I was stepping into and, and walking into, but I remember him encouraging me along the way to follow what Jesus had for me. And he thought it would be a good step knowing that in my life, I sensed that God was calling me into pastoral ministry. And so I remember thinking about how I'm going to make this happen. So I did the FASFA form. You guys remember the FASFA form? Anybody remember the FASFA form? Yes, FASFA form. So, so fun. Uh, and so I, I remember, yeah, that's what it stands for, fun, right? FASFA for fun, right? And I remember filling it out, and I was thinking, man, I'm getting a lot of grants. I'm getting a lot of aid. I can't wait to see what comes back. You ever had that experience where you're like anticipating? Good news. It's going to come. And I got the news, and the news was that I actually didn't get that much aid. And so I was thinking, like, oh, man, how am I going to pay for going to school? Like, how do you do that? Like, how does one go about paying for school? And so I, I talked to a, a friend, and my friend said to me, hey, you need to go pray about this. And I was like, um, okay, like, yeah, sure. No, 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 I mean, like, really go pray about it. Like, really go pray about it. Like, show God that you have faith, that he's able. And I was like, okay, all right, all right, you, I get you. You're, you're challenging me. All right, I'm going to hold on to that. He's a good buddy of mine. So that next day, it was a Monday, I, I went and prayed. And I prayed, and as I was praying, I was like, God, I don't know how to make this happen, uh, but Lord, I'm, I'm inviting you to show me how. And so I, I felt the wise thing to do after I prayed was to go to the local bank and apply for a loan. I don't know how all this worked at this point in time. I'm 17 years old, right? So I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, about to go to the bank. And as I'm walking out the door, about to walk out the door, the phone rings. This is before smartphones, by the way. In case you don't know what that sound is, that is a telephone that is connected to the wall. Right? Um, and so it was ringing. And that on the other end of the phone was Brian's future wife, Elise. And Elise says to me, Joseph, my father, Max Carey, would like to have you over for dinner tonight. He would like for you to come over for dinner. And he wants to hear more about your aspirations for life. 17-year-old aspirations. Here I go, right? And I was like, okay. Like, I'm, you know, and you have to know at this point in my life, me and male figures and authority, it was just not a really good thing. And I had met Max a couple times, and unfortunately, I didn't have the reverence or respect that I should for just older people, so I, would, I referred to him as dude. Hey, dude, how you doing, dude? You know, that's just how I talked. And they, we still joke around about that now with his family, though Max has since passed. And so I go over to have dinner with Max and his family. Everybody else is dismissed, and it's just Max and I. And Max is this businessman, really sharp. He was a Top Gun pilot before the movie Top Gun. Literally, he flew in Vietnam. I mean, this guy's, like, impressive. And so I'm sitting across the table, and I tell him, hey, this is what I think God is asking of me. And so I started to share with him what I envisioned. And he says, you know, Joseph, you are very articulate, and I invest in winners, and you're a winner. And I know you haven't had an easy life, but I want to invest in you. And he would go on to invest in me and my brothers to pay for our schooling so that we could go on to do what it is that we were called to do and created to do. These are the type of people in my life. And these are like God stories. This is not about how great I was, because if you look back at my transcript, you would know I was not a great student. It was not any of that. It was how he worked in my life. And then after this moment happens, 
Three months later, after I prayed a prayer of surrender to Jesus with my dating relationships, because that was a stronghold in my life, just a codependent way of going through life. Three months later, as I prayed that prayer, I said, Lord, hey, I'm giving you this. Whoever I meet next and I'm going to be dating, I have to see a future with. Three months later to that prayer, I meet this young woman named Amy Peters in Scroon Lake, New York, at World Life Bible Institute. And this is how God works. This is the way in which he's moved in my life. And when you think about the power of those types of relationships, and you think about the power of friendship, it's something that I want us to have in front of us as we consider, as we consider what it is that we're looking for in a friend. So what are you looking for in a friend? What is it that you look for? How would you describe, hey, these are the types of characteristics I'm looking for in a friend? And don't, don't hesitate. You can answer this question. What are you looking for in a friend? Loyalty, kindness, caring, sense of humor, honesty, creative. How about some guys? I didn't hear anything from guys. What are you looking for? Humility. Humility. Guys need friendships too, by the way. FYI. <laughs> Challenges you to do better. I like that. Anything else come to mind? Cooking. Wisdom. What's that? Cooking. Cooking. Yeah. <laughs> that does help. That does help. Well, I want you to think about that because what we're going to find today as we continue in our study, as we go through the Gospel of John, we're going to actually hear an invitation. And the invitation really is from Jesus. And I think back to, to grade school. You remember those notes that were written? You know, like, will you be mine? You know, will you go out with me? You know, whatever that means in that day and age, right? In that time in our lives. But Jesus in a very real way is asking us this question. Jesus wants to be friends with you. Will you be his? And some of us, we really need to take this to heart because what we're going to read today is really about the decision and the choice that we're going to make with Jesus and how we relate to him and how he wants to relate to us. And so where are you right now with Jesus? Where are you in your journey with him? How would you answer this question? Is it yes? Is it maybe? I'm not sure. It's complicated, right? to use Facebook language, right? It's complicated. It's a, a hard no. I just like to come here because I enjoy the people and the coffee's good, right? What, what is it that, that you would say for yourself as you evaluate that question and Jesus' invitation to you, where are you with him? Because we're going to see very clearly today as we go through John 15, how Jesus is inviting us more than just to know about a proposition of theology or a good teacher he wants friendship with us. He wants friendship with us. And he's going to lay this out very clearly for us. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to John 15. John 15, we're going to start in verse 9 here. Verses are on the screen, and if you need a copy of the Bible, we have free copies of the Bible for you as well. But listen to what it says here, John 15, starting in verse 9. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And this is really key. We don't miss this. As the Father has loved Jesus, so he has loved us. You need not to miss this because for some of us, even the idea of a father is really challenging. Maybe your dad was aloof. Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe your dad was affectionate. Maybe your dad abandoned you. But for many of us, when we hear this language, it is tough. It is tough to connect the dots for ourselves. 
But Jesus says, as the Father has loved me. How has the Father loved him? Perfectly, completely, always been, always will be, right? We, we see that they've always been and sharing life together. And so this love is limitless, perfect, and complete. And so as the Father has loved Jesus, he says, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Make your home in my love. Anchor your life in my love. Build your life on who I am and what I have for you. It's what Jesus would say in, in Matthew 7 when he would talk about being a wise man and, and how a wise man hears what God says and puts it into practice. Here's what Jesus says. And he's like somebody who built their house on the solid rock. And when the storms came, the house didn't topple over because the storms of life will come. And Jesus is that that one that we can hold on to, that stronghold that we can remain in. And as we remain in him, we get to experience the love that he has for us perfectly and completely. And he says this to build on that. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I had to, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? What does he say? That your joy may be half full? That your life would be joyless? No, 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 no. That's what many of us believe. No, that your joy may be complete. That your joy would be complete. And he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I don't want you to miss this because when Jesus speaks and his commands for our lives, they are for our benefit. The boundary lines that he has drawn have fallen in pleasant places. They are for our flourishing and the, for the flourishing of others. So in your life, where are you unwilling to say, I yield to your leadership and to your commands? Where is that in your life? Is that in your finances? Is that in your relationships? Is that in your career? Is that in your sexuality? Is that in the unforgiveness that you still hold on to for somebody, that bitterness you just won't let go? It surprises me, but it shouldn't. How many followers of Jesus have been walking with Jesus for many, many years and have yet to release somebody who wronged them? And they're carrying that with them. And this is one of the most clear commands of Jesus to forgive those who have hurt us as he has forgiven us. And people who do not forgive, I just want to make this clear, do not understand the full measure of the love that Jesus is speaking of. It's just cheap. It's just show. It's not the real thing. And I'm not talking about that you're going to be best friends with that person that hurt you. But I'm saying, have you forgiven? Have you blessed them, as Jesus says, to not only love those and forgive those that you like, but those that you don't? We are called to be a different type of people. We are called to live in his love. And one of the marks of living in his love is that forgiven people forgive people. And so if you are not laying down your life for others, if you're not serving others, if you're not a person following in the footsteps of Jesus, I just want to invite you to consider who are you really following? Are you asking Jesus to follow you or are you following him? Because right now, when I hear that, that sounds like you're asking him to follow you. He wants you 
to experience the full measure of love. This is for your benefit. This is for your flourishing. This is for the benefit and the flourishing of others. So our joy would be complete. It goes on to say this. It says, you are my friends. You are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You are my friends if you do what I command. Let's say that out loud on three. One, two, three. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's pretty clear here. This is pretty clear. He's tying friendship to obedience as we've surrendered and we're responding to who he is and what he has for us. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I pointed you so that you might go and bear, what does he say here? Bear what? Bear fruit. A fruit that will what? A fruit that will last. It's not like the kind of grocery store fruit that we buy. And like three days later or something, it starts to, what's going on here? I just bought this, right? This is fruit that's going to actually last in our lives. From our character, who we're becoming in Christ, to walking in the competencies of Christ and his ways. He says that you might go bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. What's the command? Love each other. Love each other. And again, I don't want you to miss this. Friendship. Friendship with Jesus is tied to obedience, to his commands. Friendship with Jesus means we're brought in closely through what he's done for us to know the Father's business. And just like Jesus surrendered to his heavenly Father, joyfully, willfully, he did it out of the sure love that he had for the Father. So he's inviting us to model that way. I don't want you to miss the language here because it's a mirroring. How I related to my heavenly Father I want you now to relate to me. I don't want you to miss what I have for you. And so as we think about that, there's a couple points here. First is this, our relationship with Jesus isn't to be transactional, but transformative. So is your relationship, as you think about with Jesus, is it transactional? Meaning I'm gonna obey you in order to get something from you. I'm trying to hold you hostage like you owe me, right? We've got friends like that. We've got people like that in our life. Maybe we've done that to people before. Our kids are pretty good at that, right? Right? I'm going to do this so you owe me, right? You know, hey, remember that? Toy time, right? Let me get the toy, you know? We do that too to our Heavenly Father, right? We're, We're trying to hold them hostage. It's transactional. But what Jesus is talking about is transformative. It's from the inside out. It's a communion with Him. It's this relationship that changes us. It's this surrender. It's understanding even when the commands don't make sense to us, even when they're difficult for us in our particular set of circumstances and situation, that he knows best and he has what's best for us. And so as you consider that, here's a question for you. Do you view your relationship with Jesus as transactional or transformative? Where is it? Where is it right now? Where are you with Jesus? Because he's inviting you into something beautiful. A life-giving relationship, just like those friendships that I mentioned before. My friend Emilio, Brian and Elise Kelso, Max Carey. Real relationship. That's why I can get up here and tell stories about people who impacted me. 
because we shared life together. What are the stories that you're telling about your relationship with Jesus, the sharing of life with him and what it is that he has for you, what it is that he desires for you? When's the last time you just came to Jesus just to be with Jesus, to say, I want to be with you and you're welcome here. I actually am not coming to get anything and not that we shouldn't come to him openly and and confess and and make bold requests. That's not what I'm talking about. But you know what? The, The most treasured part of the relationship is Jesus. And for Jesus, the most treasured part of the relationship is us. He values us. He wants us, all of us, every part of us. He wants our lives to be integrated in his love. Well, it goes on to say this. After talking about friendship, it says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If the world hates you, keep in mind, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, we're not seeing that on a lot of bumper stickers. We don't see that maybe at Hobby Lobby, a sign, right? Now, you know, hey, if the world hated, if they hated you, keep in mind they hated me first. That is not hanging in someone's living room, right? Um, you know, that's not what we're thinking. But here's the, the truth of the matter. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're walking with me and in my ways, truly my way, not your way, but my way, the world isn't going to, the system of this world, isn't going to come around it always and say, wow, that is what I want. You're totally following all all the way life should be lived. Because again, it's coming against what's standardized, what's normalized, what's considered the right way. And Jesus is saying, I have another way of living. Now, I want to clarify, and we're going to keep reading through this passage in a minute. Now, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, the hatred is not because we're being jerks for Jesus. You need to hear this, because some of us are like, we're, we say that, and we're like, oh, they're hating me. No, 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 you're just being a jerk. You know, and, and you know, you're easily offended, right? You're a bitter person. You're grumpy. You're rude. Like, those are not fruits of the Spirit, by the way, in case you did not know. I'm here for you. I am here for you. That is not the kind of fruit that he was talking about, the fruit that will last. That is not what he means by this. Really, it's about, am I walking in the Jesus way? And if I'm walking in the grace and truth of Jesus fully, who he is, what he's about, his ways, and that's causing hate, that's what he's speaking of. But if I'm not walking in that, if I'm walking counter to that way, That's a hatred towards me, not Jesus in me. Make sense? All right, want to make sure we don't miss this. Because again, we we hang on to these verses and we're like, oh man, I'm being persecuted. No, someone's just disagreeing with you. It's okay. It's okay, right? Like, it's okay, right? You're not being persecuted if someone disagrees with you or holds you accountable, right? But again, there are times in our lives when we're standing with Jesus in his grace and truth and people are going to come against that. Because Jesus was full of grace and truth. And, and recently, I've just been reminded of the power of standing with Jesus and becoming even that much more convinced that even if it means sometimes I have to stand alone, Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. Even if it means, hey, I'm misunderstood. People walk out on me. People don't want a relationship with me. They ghost me. You fill in the blank. They withdraw their love from me. And I just want you to know that stuff's happened in my life. But Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. 
There's no other place that I would want to be. Even if that means I'm standing alone here, even if that means that all that's left in Riverbend is me and a few others, he's worth it. He's worth it. All right, let's keep going. All right, because that's a whole thing. I can keep going on that. But here you are. Verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will what? Yeah, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of your name? Because of whose name? His name. Because of Jesus' name. For they do not know the one who sent me. And so Jesus, again, is unpacking this. A servant is not greater than his master. We're walking in the ways of Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. He says, hey, listen, if they didn't like me when I was here on the earth, they're not going to like you in your ways either. If you're truly following my ways, if you're remaining in my love and obeying my teaching, they're not going to be about that. But if they listen to my teaching, if they obeyed my teaching, then they're going to follow your teaching. And I want you to hear this because we live in a day and age that more than ever, we need a people that are what's called the radical middle, full of grace and truth. And I'm not talking about moderate politics, by the way. Because whenever we say middle, I've noticed sometimes words all of a sudden have been hijacked by the culture or Christian culture. And we're like, oh man, moderate. Oh, yo, here's Joe, radical middle, man. He's talking about moderate. No, I'm not. I'm talking about grace and truth of Jesus. Kingdom living, kingdom citizens. We more than ever need people who show and tell the Jesus way, who model what it is he's done for us and for everyone. And so I just want to invite you to consider what he's saying, because there may be a time where Jesus is asking you to stand with him and standing with him, with his truth and grace, not in these echo chambers that our culture loves to get into, but rather to stand with him it may at times put us at odds with others. And we shouldn't look for persecution. We shouldn't look for hatred. We shouldn't look for people to stand against us. We shouldn't pray for that. Oh, Jesus, please let me be persecuted. No, we shouldn't. But when it happens, I want you to know Jesus has forewarned us so that we wouldn't be surprised. And that there are people here that know and have experienced that and want to stand with you as you stand with Jesus. Because we don't carry the weight alone. We come up under the love of Jesus and in community with one another. Well, let's continue on here. It says this, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sins. But now they have no excuses for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works, the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet, have not, yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without what? They hated me without reason. He's saying, hey, I showed them who I am. Not just with my teaching, but with my miracles. I showed them who I am. I've revealed their need. But one of the hardest things, I just got to be really honest, it's becoming very clear to me. One of the hardest things to see is your own spiritual darkness, and death. 
one of the hardest things to see is, hey, wait a minute, I may be spiritually blinded. I may not be able to see. And so if you're walking in spiritual darkness, blindness, you cannot see, self-deception is so easy to stay in. And one of the best things that we do for ourselves is to stand before Jesus and to walk with him and to invite him to open our eyes to see, to see clearly. And for those who have yet to put their trust in Jesus, that we would see Jesus and his great love for us and, and what he's done for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, that our eyes would be open to who he is and, and what he has for us. But for those who have already put their faith in Jesus, those who would claim they know Jesus. And I had a friend who said to me, their, their daughter uh, recently uh, left upstate New York to go to Liberty University. And she said that it was very surprising to her that there were a lot of people who were Christian in name, but name only. But that for upstate New York, if you know upstate New York, to be a follower of Christ is not a socially cool thing to do. It's not like acceptable. You're like, oh yeah, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna be a Christian, yeah. And expect a lot of friends as a result of that, right? And she says, it surprised me. It surprised me that that's the way for many people. And I thought about that. I said, you know, for all of us, we need to examine in our own lives. Are we Christian by name only? Is it because it's socially acceptable? Is it because this is a tradition? Is this because it's my mama, my daddy's, my grandparents' faith? But is it mine? Is Jesus mine? Am I coming after him? Am I putting my trust in him? Am I following what it is that they have, what he, that he has for me, and, and specifically how he's leading my life? Because Jesus, again, is inviting us into something. But for those there who did not want to acknowledge their need, could not recognize their shortcoming, they hid behind self-righteousness. And spiritual blindness really comes in self-righteousness often. It's easy to see how good I am compared to somebody else. But just a reminder, FYI, you're not the standard and neither am I. Jesus is. And some of us, we need to hear that this morning. Because we think we're the standard, and we think the only person that has bad breath is everybody else but me. And man, whenever that happens, this is when we start to get condescending, prideful, bitter, this is when we look down because we cannot see our need. Do you know that you need a rescue? You were spiritually dead and Jesus has made a way for spiritual life. Do you know that in Jesus, he's inviting us to a deeper way of life with him where we can go deeper with him and he shows us the things he wants to heal that are broken within us. He wants to restore through repentance that which we have got off the mark on. He wants to bring into our lives the peace that only can come from him. Because so many of us here this morning, the other thing that is blind is the emptiness. The spiritual blindness is emptiness. It's the emptiness of having everything and looking apart, but yet in our hearts we lack true peace and meaning and significance. Jesus, he's made a way. He's made a way. Well, as we continue, I want to ask you to consider and to think through these things. True friendship with Jesus will cause hate from the world. We've made that clear, right? It will cause hate from the world. Just to clarify, true friendship, true friendship, not you telling Jesus how it is, 
Not you cutting out per portions of the gospel and be like, oh yeah, I like this part of Jesus, like a buffet thing, right? Oh, you know what? This is good. I'm going to skip this, you know? No, no, no. The whole thing of Jesus. Every part of him, his ways, right? Just want to make sure we're, we're remaining in his love, obeying his commands, letting him change us into his likeness. Again, true friendship with Jesus will cause hate from the world. And then the next part of this is when you remain in the love of Jesus and obey his commands, it will put you at odds with the world. And that's, that's okay. I want you to hear this. That doesn't mean we can't be kind and gracious and truthful, but we have to know that there are going to be times when we're going against the culture that is normative. And that sometimes is our world culture. But I, I want you not to miss this. Every time I say this, I say this on purpose, the Christian subculture too. Because we can often have a Christian subculture that's not seeped in the scriptures and the grace and truth of Jesus. And as a result, we're like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm think I'm about Jesus, but when I look at what I'm doing, when I read the scriptures, not just the parts that I know, or I saw at Hobby Lobby on the signs that are cool and cute and all those things, right? But I really take a look at him, then I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second, this, this way is, is different. So I want you not to miss this because it will put us at odds. And it's okay. We're a city within a city. We're a city on a hill. And I just want you to hear me. Man, my heart is just, uh, it desires and longs for the Lord to do that with us and with the churches in our valley. We need it more than ever. But it will be hard at times. But again, he's worth it. He's worth it. He is worth it. And so as we think about this, here's a question for you. Where in your life are you unwilling to experience hatred from the world due to your friendship with Jesus? Is there a point in your life that you're like, ah. And again, sometimes it's, hey, I'm choosing to walk in Jesus' way in this specific area. Sometimes it's going to be, again, when we choose the radical middle of grace and truth, and the other side wants us to be this way about a situation, or they want us to be this way about a situation. But there's always this third way in Jesus. And sometimes, again, that means people are going to be like, I don't know what to make of that. It's hard. It's confusing. And that's okay. That's okay, because to stand with Jesus is to be the place where we're intended to stand. And so I want you to hear that. And as we wrap up this portion of Scripture, I want to read these final verses from here because as we've heard and talked so much about, and the writing team has done an incredible job talking about the Holy Spirit in, in these writings that they've created. Rich McDaniel did a great job as well. But this, these passages of Scripture, John 13 through 17, you don't want to miss that there's someone that goes with us in what it is that we're talking about. Because what I'm describing is impossible in our own strength. This is supernatural power through the finished work of Jesus that we're able to walk with him, to be people who are gracious and truthful, to be winsome in a culture that is marked with such hate, disdain for those that disagree with them. Okay? I don't want you to miss this. Listen to what it says here. John 15, 26, it says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about who? He's going to testify about Jesus. Love this. And you also must testify. For you have been with me from the beginning. And so Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the advocate. 
And I think about that. I think about the story that I told early on here. I'm so grateful that I had people advocate for me. Like Brian Kelso and his wife, Elise, they advocated for me. Max Carey and his wife, Susan, they advocated for me. To have an advocate means that someone is coming in your defense. Someone is strengthening you. Someone is providing what it is that you need. And so he says that the Holy Spirit's going to come. And as he comes from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he's described as. The Spirit of truth, revealing to us truth, so that we can be set free in the truth, so that we can walk in the truth, so that we can know the truth and stay in that. And that the Holy Spirit, the advocate, is going to testify about Jesus. And that in his power, through his work in us, his filling us, and then spilling out of our lives, we are to testify about Jesus as well. And these disciples had been with Jesus from the beginning. And so too, as we have walked with Jesus, we're to tell. We're to tell who this Jesus is, how he's changed our lives. We're not only to tell in word, but also in deed. Right? We, we need not only a proclamation, but we need a demonstration of power. And the spirit of truth, the advocate, is what allows that demonstration to happen. His power within us. And you've heard me say this so many times, but are you walking in step with the Spirit? Are you surrendered to the Spirit's leadership? It says very clearly through the Scriptures, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't quench His work in our lives. Him molding us and shaping us into the character and likeness of Christ. His opening up opportunities and doors for us to go where He's inviting us to go. When He says, hey, I want you to go talk to that person, and we're like, I don't know, man. I think I just had something funny for breakfast, you know? That cannot be the Holy Spirit. I'm an introvert. No way he's going to ask me to talk to a stranger, right? No way. No way that could happen. I'm too busy, right? I got so much to, to going on. I'm a type A extrovert. Oh, no, no way he would interrupt my schedule, my day. No way. And he always is at work. The question is, are we going to adjust accordingly? Will we adjust to the advocate's work in our lives? Because he's working in us, through us, and around us. So as we think about that, here's a couple of things. We have an advocate that tells us we aren't alone and that Jesus goes with us. Aren't you glad to know that when the hatred comes, when that takes place, when we're persecuted, that we're not alone in that? That we have an advocate that stands with us and that comforts us and guides us and directs us? That we have an advocate that gives us the words when we don't know to speak. There's oftentimes I'm in conversations and I'm, I'm, I know it's going to be intense. And instead of me just using my, my gift of being a talker, I want to let him talk through me. Say, so I just simply pray something like, Holy Spirit, would you go before me? Would you speak? Would you have your way here in this meeting today? Would you go before me? Because I want him to do the work in me, through me, around me. I want to walk in Holy Spirit, power, independence. And that only happens through yielding. I must yield to the advocate. I must yield. I must, yield. I must surrender. I must submit myself. So again, we have an advocate that tells us we aren't alone and that Jesus goes with us. And I want you to know you're not alone in what you're facing. I know for a fact today, as I was out greeting, which is one of my favorite things to do, I love to be out there welcoming people. I just know, many of you, you need to know you're not alone. You need to know you're not alone 
as finals are coming up this week. You need to know you're not alone when you're at a financial crunch right now and things are challenging. You need to know you're not alone when you're having family issues that are emerging. You need to know you're not alone when you're looking at your finances, when you're looking at job situations, when you're looking at health challenges. You need to know you're not alone. You are not alone in this, my friends. We have an advocate that goes with us. And so as we think about that, will you, by the power of the advocate, testify to others about your friend Jesus? Will you? Because again, he's invited us to be friends. No longer do I call you slaves because you know the master's business. Think about how significant this conversation was. This wasn't a sermon he gave to the general public. This wasn't something he said to everybody. This is something he said to his disciples. This is something that we're privy to as well. He's laying us in on the master's business, but not as servants, but as friends. We are friends, and he's revealing to us what it is that's to happen and take place. And so back to our original question. Jesus wants to be friends with you. He wants to be. Will you be his? And we we get a sense, as we've read through this, what friendship with him is like. To obey his commands, to remain in his love, to, to stand with him even when persecuted or hated, to be a person marked with the grace and truth of Christ. And we do this with surrender to who he is and with the joy that he's provided for us and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we consider this, and as we think about all that Christ has done for us, I want to give you a couple ways to respond. And we're going to set up for communion here. So if you haven't gotten communion supplies, you can go ahead and raise your hand. We'll make sure you guys get those. But as we, as we think about what it is that we are focused on here today, I want to give you a couple ways to respond. One, if you made any decision, you said, today I said yes to Jesus. We want to know that. You can text that number and let us know that as well. And then the other part of this is we want to invite you. We want to invite you to give. We want to invite you to be a part of the mission that Jesus has allowed us to be a part of uh, by living for Jesus and loving the valley. It's your generosity that enables us to do that. And we're in a lot of really significant conversations right now as a church. We're talking about our what our next home is going to be and when it's going to be and what that looks like. We're having those kind of conversations. It's your generosity that allows us actually to enter into those spaces and those places. It's your generosity that allows us to help people who have needs. You know, this week we were received a request of a family that had a need. And it's your generosity that allows us to meet in a tangible way needs, needs like that. I just want to thank you on behalf of our church for your generosity. And then the next part, as we think about this, is communion. And I just want to remind you of what Jesus said. Jesus said, as I have loved you, you're to love one another. You know, a friend, a friend that lays down his life for his, his friends. Jesus laid down his life for you. He laid his life down for me. He did this perfectly and completely. And I want you to think in your life right now, as we consider the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Christ spilled for us, as we, as we think about that, first of all, to make sure that we're recognizing 
what it is that he's done for us perfectly and completely. The things that we could never do to eradicate our spiritual darkness and death, he's made a way. He's provided. But the other part of this is to take inventory. Where in our lives do we need to confess? Where in our lives is there something that we are refusing to give him control over? We're disobedient on. Jesus made it really clear, right? He didn't mince words. It wasn't like, you know, we've got to slice it apart and be like, oh, what did that mean in the Greek? Yeah, we could do that, but it means to obey. It means to obey. And his, it's for our benefit to do this. So where in your life are you unwilling to obey? Where in your life do you need to confess, hey, I've held on to this and not surrendered to you? What is it in your life? Communion is a chance to confess that. And then communion is a chance for us to release. I think for me of late, I've just been really considering how easy it is to harbor bitterness. And I've I've just been walking with people, been in conversations, and I'm realizing how easy it is to do that. And I think for me, I, I, I would assume, if we understand the grace of Jesus, that you would then be gracious in response. And that's a wrong assumption on me. And I want to say to you today, today could be the day where you not only remember the extravagant grace, but you extend the extravagant grace so that you are set free. Some of you are in prison for something that happened 30 years ago. 30 years ago. You hear me? And Jesus wants to set you free. And forgiveness is the start of the process, so don't get me wrong. There's a process. But, man, come on. Come on. Come home. Confess. Confess where you're off base and free the person so that you're free of the bitterness that you're holding on. Look no further than the cross of Christ to be reminded of the extravagant grace that was given on your behalf. Let's pray together. Father, right now, we invite you into this time, into this space. We are thankful for your great love for us. Jesus, you have made a way. We thank you that it's not about our attempt to earn. It's not about being good enough or performing well enough but rather because of your perfect sacrifice for us. We can actually do what John 15 says. We can remain in your love and obey your commands and walk in friendship with you, just like Adam and Eve once experienced in the garden. Even though we're in a fallen world in a broken state, we thank you for how the gospel of Jesus through surrender to you, Christ, enables to walk with you as they walked with you in the cool of the day. As these disciples were walking with you and talking with you, in these hours that were going to lead to your death march, where you would die on a cross for our sins, and then three days later resurrect from the dead. Jesus, right now, we give you everything. And we just want to walk in a posture of surrender. And so, Lord, I just pray you would have your way right now. Lord, we don't, we don't want to try to manufacture something, but rather we want to be in a posture of humility and surrender and to say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Will you show us, will you convict us, and will you give us the courage to follow where you're asking us to go? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.